about so that that can renew you, not out of something that's old and stale, like what are they going for. So as I thought about this idea of of enterprise and and the bird eagle and the monument that they set up, I was thinking also of the monuments in the Old Testament. If you turn to Joshua chapter 4, they had a situation that they were facing that they could not fix on their own.
introduction for Andy Miller, who is here with his wife Rachel and their children, uh, come from the Presbyterian Congregation in Northern Ohio. Probably about two years ago, uh, Ryan called me. I'm not sure if he got a hold of me. Um, I'm calling and texting and wondered if he could come. And of course, I responded right away. Actually, it took a little bit. Um, and, you know, you think, oh, two years away, I have plenty of time. Plenty of time to study, plenty of time to figure this out. And, you know, maybe some people can study ahead, but for me, it seems like I can't get what I need for a few days or a couple weeks or maybe a month from now. Maybe it's procrastination. Maybe it's something else. But anyway, I, I have quite a few thoughts that have been coming to me, and I just mentioned some things to my wife on the way here. So, and I know that there's people praying, and I just, I really appreciate that because you can feel those prayers coming in study and as you prepare and sometimes God sends things your way that maybe you're not comfortable talking about and it's not about what I'm comfortable doing it's about doing what God wants me to do and saying what he wants me to say I'm going to start off with just a few verses here and it might not make sense why I'm starting off with these but we'll get to them later these three verses, or not three verses, these few verses are found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. We're going to read those to start out. The heading in my Bible, it says, Jesus calls Matthew. Right before verse 9, that's what it, it's what it says here in my Bible. It says, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We're going to look at that again here later on. Harvest meeting. What's someone think of when you hear the term harvest meeting? Well, you can think of a lot of things. Depends what your thoughts are about harvest. What does harvest mean? Well, we have a meeting here. Why don't we go, let's go harvest something. There's cornfields out there. Let's, let's go harvest some crops. Could be a physical harvest like that. It could be something like maybe you enjoy hunting. And people call that harvesting an animal. There's a lot of different things that can be thought of when it comes to harvesting. And my question that I want to start out with tonight is, are you on the right side of the harvest? And maybe it's not worded the best. It doesn't really matter if it's worded the best. It's what I mean by that question. Are you on the right side of the harvest? And what does that mean? 
Another question, what do I need to do to be ready for the harvest? And maybe the most important question, what in my life is keeping me from being ready for the harvest? What in my life is keeping me from being ready for the harvest to come? We're going to jump around here a little bit into some some different verses. Um, The first verse I'm going to look at here is also from Jeremiah. And, you know, when Zach said Jeremiah, I'm thinking, oh, my, (laughs) he might be reading the same verse. But, you know, if that happens, praise the Lord, because there's no other way that can happen except God's involved. But the verse I want to read is Jeremiah 8, verse 20. And I printed this out, and I don't remember if it's from the King James or if it's from something else. I don't, I don't remember. I just copied it down. Because I know sometimes when I'm flipping up here, it, it takes me a while to flip to the scripture I need to. Jeremiah 8.20 says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. You know, the most sobering part about that verse is the last part. We are not saved. Now, what does he mean exactly there? Um, You'd have to read the whole context, and then you can, you know, interpret it. But I want to focus on that last line. We are not saved. Is he talking about me? Is he talking about you? If we're on the right side of the harvest, hopefully he's not talking about me or you. But if we're on the wrong side of the harvest, and we're not saved, That's a scary thought. I just want to read a part of a verse next here. Matthew 9.37. Part of that verse says, The laborers are few. The laborers are few. What does that mean? That means that there's there's few people ready to do God's harvest. If we want to be on the right side of the harvest, if we want to be ready for the harvest, We need to first be one of those laborers. Are you a laborer? Am I a laborer? Are you saved? Am I saved? Questions that we need to ask ourselves if we want to be ready for the harvest. You know, we can we can answer a bunch of different questions. We can we can make excuses. We can say all kinds of things. Well, yeah, I am saved, or yeah, you know, or maybe I, th- I think I am, or we can, we can say whatever we want, but we need to know that we are. You know, and if you aren't, what is holding you back? Fame? You want to be famous, and you can't, you know, as a Christian, you can't do certain things, and maybe you want to be famous someday. You know, as a teacher, I'm, I have a lot of students that, that fame really appeals to them. Peer pressure? You know, I like to think that in our circles we have a lot of positive peer pressure, a lot of peer pressure to influence us in the right way and convince us and push us towards that decision. But sometimes that the peer pressure that may be stronger is the peer pressure keeping us back, holding us back. What is holding you back? Is it fear? Is it nervousness? Are you too shy? Or is there fear of having to give up your lifestyle? 
What is it? Did something happen to you? Are you stubborn? Am I stubborn? Hopefully, that's not the case for a lot of us. There's none of those things in our way that are preventing us. And hopefully, there are things that are pushing us to that decision and continually to that decision again and again. Because there's times in my life that I do things that I regret doing. And I need to go back and renew myself and, and ask God for forgiveness. Because I am not, I have not been spending my year preparing for the harvest. I have not been spending my days actively preparing for what God has for me. And some of those things are holding me back. Ultimately, hopefully, they're not holding you back from making that decision. And hopefully, there are things in your life right now that are pushing you, if you have not made that decision, to make that decision. Or if, if you have made that decision, hopefully there are things in your life that are continually pushing you toward a holier uh, lifestyle, towards a more godly lifestyle, pushing you and helping you grow into what God wants you to be. Because if we're not where God wants us to be, and there's a harvest out there, we aren't going to have any idea what to do with it. Or how to take care of it properly, or how to, how to handle things. What is it? What is pushing you towards that decision? I've thought a lot about the next couple things I'm going to share. And at some point I thought, you know, no, I'm not going to share that. But no matter what, it just kept coming back and coming back. So to kind of give you a little perspective of what pushed me, what helped me get to that decision, we need to go back quite a ways. I had on my paper, we need to go back 22 years. We actually have to go back longer than that. 22 years might make me sound young. <laughs> we need to go back probably about 25, 26 years. I grew up, obviously, in conservative Christian family. And things were perfect, right? Every conservative Christian family is perfect, right? <laughs> no, things aren't perfect. But there was a church up the road that was not conservative, but my parents allowed us to go to a youth group there. And we went and we learned some things there, but most of it wasn't real grounded in scripture. It was more of a fun time to interact with other people. And I'm thankful that I didn't just have that type of teaching growing up. I would go with my sister, and usually I was okay. But whenever they got doing stuff, I was just too nervous, and I would sit over in the corner, literally sit in the corner by myself because I was too shy to participate. And what really stuck out to me was one time they videoed what we were doing. And you see all these kids playing, and all of a sudden the camera sweeps over to the corner, and there I am in the corner because I'm too shy to participate. Now, I don't know if that video is still around, but I hope it's not. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of how I was. I wasn't super confident. I, I was pretty shy. 
And then when I was 17, no, when I was 15, I took a trip with my dad and things started to turn for me. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Because it was, it was before I was 15 that I made my decision to follow Jesus. So 22 years ago, and I don't know if this part will make any sense. I, I just, for some reason, I just thought I'd put this in here. 22 years ago, there was a cabin in northern PA. It's called Happy Cousins Cabin. Nothing special about the name. But it just so happens that 22 years ago in the summer, my grandma's family, everyone, decided to go. My aunts, uncles, everyone. So we were all there. And we had a good time. I don't remember a ton of stuff we did. I do remember one of my nephew's fingers got burnt on a lantern. I don't know why I remember that. And I remember... We all stood under this big apple tree and got a picture. Now, I don't know that I remember doing it if I just remember seeing the picture. But we were all there in the picture. My grandpa had already passed away years before. But everyone was there. A couple months later, it was August. I think it was before school started. My brother and I decided to spend the night at my uncle's house. He had two little boys. And this wasn't, you know, just some random uncle. I don't know if you, if any of you have someone that you like to be around. Someone that just makes you feel like you're so much better than you are. Not in a proud way, not in an arrogant way, but just helps you feel good about yourself. You don't worry about the way God made you, if he made you too tall or too fat or too skinny or too short. or When you're around that person, you don't worry about those things. You don't think about those things. When you're running as an 8-year-old boy or 6-year-old boy or 10-year-old boy from the playground to your uncle who's going to take you somewhere and everyone's yelling at you, run, fatty, run. But you don't care because you know what? You're going with your uncle. And things are going to be okay because... He loves you, you love him, and he's just that special person in your life. That was, this, that was my uncle to me. He was that person. And I remember those comments. I remember those things. But you know what? It didn't matter because I was going with him and they weren't. This uncle also told me some things that I'd never really imagined and was pushing me towards that decision. He's being an encouragement to me. Let's go back to August. My uncle rented a little backhoe. And he was going to, he had just moved in their house not too terrible long ago. They built a new house and he still had to do some digging. I don't know what exactly. I was 12 years old, so I don't remember a whole lot. But this backhoe was kind of cool because it had some bars up top and you could sit up there. So we drove back through the woods and we were sitting up there riding and we were having a good time. A little bit later, we, were getting the, we had the tent set up. The backhoe was parked behind the house. 
just a little bit of a slant. And it was, we could hear it running. And we got the tent set up, and my brother and I were in the tent with two little boys that were three years old. And I don't care if it's 22 years ago or 40 years ago, I can still hear those words from a three-year-old boy, look, daddy tractor smoking. We ran out only to see my uncle underneath that bar of the tractor that we had been riding on. I don't want to be too descriptive, but I can still hear the same sounds. I can still see the same images. I can still feel the muscles pulling in my back as my brother and I tried to lift it off of him. I was 12, my brother was 8. I can remember calling 911. I can remember screaming. I can remember my brother and myself and my aunt because we thought maybe if all three of us lifted, we could get it. We couldn't. God decided that it was time to take my uncle home that evening. But you know what? The seeds had already been set. God had already used him in my life. He had already used him in so many other people's lives to get them ready for the harvest, to get them ready and be where they need to be. A couple years ago, I don't remember how long ago, Maybe it was before we were even married. I don't know. Probably when we were teenagers. My brother mentioned to me, he said, do you think if we were as strong as we are now, we could have lifted it off of him? You know, it's a haunting thought. And it can haunt you. What could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? Was it my fault? I know it wasn't my fault. And I simply told him, I said, I don't know that it would have mattered. We can't change those things. But God allowed us to experience that. And whether that was the turning point or not, not, ne not necessarily, but that was one thing that happened in my life that kept me going in the right direction. After that, um, I was 12 years old and you're just allowed to go hunting. 12 years old is when you used to you have to be 12 years old. You used to have to be 12 years old to hunt. And I was looking forward to that for years. And this uncle was going to take me hunting. And in my somewhat selfish 12-year-old mind, you know, that's kind of what I was, I couldn't process everything. That's kind of what I was thinking, well, who's going to take me hunting now? And there was things with that that also kept pushing me. Sitting out in the woods by yourself, wondering, is Jesus going to come back and I'm going to be left here stuck in the woods? There's a lot of people preaching about the end times at that time, at that point. And I kind of got tired of it. But you know, these were all things that were pushing me toward that decision. And finally, in November of the same year, I made that decision along with four other people at our church. I was baptized.
was that I still wasn't ready for the harvest. I was still shy. I was still, you know, not, not quite where God wanted me to be. And hopefully none of us are where God, are completely where God wants us to be. Hopefully God is continually working and continually growing our lives and pushing us in the right direction. When I was 15, going back to my, going back to that, my, I made, took a trip with my father. We went to Africa for a couple weeks. And that was when I had already made the decision to follow Jesus. But that was when things really started to change in my life. I started to see that it wasn't just me right here. It wasn't just our Shrewsbury congregation. It wasn't just our conference people. It wasn't just, you know, whatever. There's a whole lot of other people out there that need Jesus. And you know what? Maybe I don't like teaching Sunday school. Maybe I don't like whatever. But at 15 years old, it wasn't a matter of if you liked it or not. Over there in Africa, you were going to teach the youth class. And I wasn't too impressed. <laughs> it wasn't a matter of when do you want to. It was a matter of this is when you're going to do it. <laughs> and you know, that was a great experience for me. That was another thing that kind of pushed me along the way to get me growing closer to God and, and away from my shyness and my self-centeredness, I guess. You know, I can go back to that tractor and think, what if it was me under there? Was I ready? Would you have been ready? At that point, I don't know that I would have been ready. But you know what? My uncle was. And that is what makes the story not end completely on a sad note. Because he was ready. He went to see Jesus. He was where God wanted him to be. And God called him home when God wanted to. You know... I think sometimes we think of coming to Jesus and things working out perfectly. You know, and I, that's just the picture that I'd love to get. You know, everything's going to be perfect. And in my mind, that's just the way it should be. But that's not how it is. Things aren't going to work out perfectly after you make the decision. But you will be on the right path to get to where everything will be perfect. I want to read a few verses from John 3. 19 and 20. And you might think, well, that was 22 years ago. That was a random thing. That's, you know, I'm fine. I'm, nothing's going to happen to me. But look around. Just look at, just read anything in the news. I mean, you, you don't have to find far to where, find out where someone was killed. Someone was shot. Someone was whatever. It could be you. It could be me. You'd be like, well, no, that's over in Washington, you know, or that's over in wherever. That's that's in the cities or that's in, you know, this area, whatever. That's not around here. We don't have to worry about that. I want to read a few verses here. John 3, 19, it says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. If you think we live in a protected, carefree world, 
you're wrong. That's not the case. I do truly believe that as a conservative people, we do have certain protections that other people just don't have. We do have certain benefits that other people just don't have. But they can easily, easily slide away and easily disappear if we're not careful. You know, I can read about or hear about different things happening in different parts of the country. And for some reason, they just don't hit home like the story that happened just a few days ago. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. What happened Thursday morning near Indianapolis, Indiana. Conservative couple, I'm not sure, I can't remember where exactly they're from. Just something simple, they were changing a tire. Get robbed. Okay, they took their money, no big deal. And then turn around and shoot the couple. You know, and I can think of that story and I can, it almost brings me to tears. But it's no different than what's here in John 3, 19. Men love darkness because their deeds were evil. I can ask why. I can say, well, that's, you know, that's over there. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Or I can say, oh, they should have been doing this. And, that, you know, that was silly of them to do whatever they did. No. There was nothing wrong with what they did. It just happens to be that they live in a sinful, evil world, just like you and me. You know, in the article I read, it said the six-year-old boy got home and said, I wish they hadn't shot my mommy. And I can think of how sad that is, and it's extremely sad, and it almost brings tears to my eyes. It did earlier when I read it. But you know, I read a statement, and I don't know if this is word for word, I'm going to read it. This is from the grandfather. It says, We have the hope in the insurance, in the assurance of eternal life. We have the confidence that Wilma, that's the mother's name, will, went to be with her maker. The children also know that. Can you imagine if your children didn't have that assurance? They know that if they continue, the children know that if they continue in the Christian faith, someday they'll go to be with mother that's the best way we can cope with the situation. Again, it's probably not word for word, but another example of someone that we can look at and say it shouldn't have happened. But you know what? What if that were you? Or what if that were me? Am I ready? Are you ready? Are we ready for the harvest? Are we on the right side of it? Because if we're not, we're not going to be effective. We're not going to be able to go to that place called heaven. I'm going to go back to Matthew 9, 9 to 13. I'm going to reread these verses here that we started out with. It says in Matthew 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the, house, in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? 
But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is calling sinners to repentance. He's also continually calling us to follow him, to take up our cross daily, and follow after him. Because it's very, very easy in the world we live in to get distracted, to get caught up with all the things going on around about us. And pretty soon, the harvest is here and past, and we missed it. You know, I can stand up here and I can talk about just about anything. I can preach about heaven. I can preach about hell. I can preach about fire. I can preach about brimstone. I can preach about God's love. I can preach about his wrath. Whatever it is, I can preach about it. But that's not the point. The point is the decision to continually follow him or to just follow him and start following him is up to you. It's not up to me. It's not about what I say. It's not about what I preach about. I have a few more verses here. Proverbs 20, verse 4. And this, is, I think, is from the ESV. I'm not sure exactly. I just like the, word, the way it was worded here. It says, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. You know, and if we think about maybe food... That's, I don't know that we can really imagine that. We have so much food, it's usually not an issue for any of us. But what does that mean, that he will have nothing? Well, I think when, it, when we're talking about souls, it's a little more serious. This person was not ready for the harvest. This person is not on the right side of the harvest. What does it mean? Mark 8, 35 through 38. A couple verses here. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Can you imagine Jesus being ashamed of you? He will be ashamed of you when he cometh in glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's not something I want to think about. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you going to give in exchange for your soul? What do you have in your life that is preventing you from being ready for the harvest? Is it social media, Instagram, too much time, or sending the wrong things? TikTok, 
watching things you shouldn't watch, looking at photos you shouldn't look at, or maybe it's just distracting. And it's keeping you from where God wants you. There's a whole lot of things that we can be distracted by in this world. What will you give in exchange for your soul? Very, very serious question. What will you do? Will you wait? Will you say no? Will you think about it? Or will you finally say yes? There's a song, just a few verses from that song I want to read here. It says, I can take you to the hill where they hung him on the cross. I can take you to the empty tomb. I can tell you he's alive because he lives in me. But the rest is up to you. The rest is up to you. You know, tonight, for some reason, God has laid it on my heart for the last couple weeks to ask for an invitation hymn. And for me to not do that would be to disobey what God has been telling me to do. And for some reason, I've been apprehensive. Maybe I'm not as ready for the harvest as I should be. Maybe I need to look at my life and renew some things in my life. I've already made the decision, but I can continue to make that decision, continue to follow him, continue to grow. And I'm not sure the proper way to word things, but... You know, tonight, if you are not quite where God wants you to be, or you haven't made that decision, I invite you to stand, whatever, lift, raise your hand, whatever you need to encourage you to keep you moving on that path. I invite you to stand or come forward, or some, I'm sure someone will be willing to pray with you. I'm not standing up here trying to act like I'm the perfect guy. That's not the case at all. I'm, I need the same prayer. I need the same help as you do. But as we sing, if God's calling you, God's calling you to make a decision, just stand up, raise your hand, ask someone to decide you to pray with you, whatever you need to help push you on that path or help encourage you along. We can't do it on our own. What shall we sing?
Please. 